Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Yoshi Obayashi, and I'm so glad I got his name right, right there. Um, before we get to that, I want to thank you all for listening, and to uh, those of you who are listening in America, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Probably my favorite holiday in America. It uh, crosses all lines, all ethnic lines, all religious lines. No matter where you're from and you live in America here, Thanksgiving is something you can get behind because it's all about giving thanks for all the good things we have and to get together with family. And that's always a good thing for most families. <laughs> it is for mine. I'm currently in Florida right now when this comes out, and I'm seeing my family. I get to uh, see my niece and nephew, which is always an awesome thing, and cousins, and my mom, and my sister, and my brother-in-law, everyone. And I get to overeat and watch football, which is probably the best thing about Thanksgiving. And how American is that? All right. Uh, let me talk about the website just for a bit, TravelTalesPodcast.com. It's uh, got a new look to it. hope you've uh, checked it out. Thank you again, Steve Grieve, for uh, putting it all together. Um, go there. You'll see links on every page to our uh, social media. And that, of course, is Twitter, which is we are Travel Tales Pod, our Facebook page, Travel Tales Podcast at Facebook. And uh, go th to each of those and just give us a like, will you please? I need more likes on all those, so please do that. And uh, Instagram, we are Travel Tales Podcast at Instagram. And uh, there's links there to Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you're not listening to us on that right now, maybe you should. And if you do subscribe, that makes it real easy. So go to one of those, Stitcher or iTunes, and subscribe if you haven't already. And if you are on one of those, especially iTunes, why not give us a good rating, huh? That'll be a cool thing to do. Costs you nothing. Takes about a minute. Not even that. Takes a second to give us a thumbs up. And uh, the more good ratings we have, the, it boosts our presence and helps people find the show. So if you can do that, I would really appreciate it if uh, you're on iTunes to give us a big thumbs up. And like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and all that. Big stuff happening in the new year. I'm very excited about it. And some uh, comedy-related travel, which I'm very excited about. Now let's get to our guest. Yoshi Obayashi was someone I met when I was doing my friend Rosie Tran's podcast called the Out of the Box Podcast, and if you get a chance to check that out, please do. Uh, Yoshi has uh, been around the world, and uh, he's got an interesting backstory, and he's a, he's a comedian and a funny guy, and uh, I, was, uh, I was happy to meet him, and so I think you'll like uh, hearing his story and hearing about where he's been. So please welcome Yoshi Obayashi.
We met each other through... Um, Rosie Tran. Yeah. Rosie Tran, our mutual friend, Rosie. And how do you know Rosie Tran? Um, just in comedy in Los Angeles last nine years or so, nine, ten years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just met her uh, recently. I met her at the podcast festival, actually. The I LA was, Podcast Festival. I was just there for the Friday night and for one, one of the podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, um, I bunch, met a bunch of people there. It was a great festival. And she was raving about you, so she, uh, <laughs> she told me to stay. But I don't really want to stay in the room. I just want to give you guys intimacy of two people talking, having a fun conversation. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. How long have uh, you been doing comedy? Um, ooh, off and on for like nine, ten years in LA. Okay, where did yeah. you start? Up in up in Seattle, and it was it's it's it's, it's a lot friendlier place to do comedy. I think. Because there's no industry business up there. No, I said the same thing. I was, I was telling Rosie that in, uh, on her podcast that I started in Chicago. And the same kind of thing. It was very, uh, we were very supportive of one another. You know, if somebody, you could be bad. You know, you need a place to be bad where no one's going to see you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and just to work out your stuff. And I think, I, I, maybe it's a counterintuitive thinking, but sometimes it's okay to tell people if they're bad at it. <laughs> because in LA they're so supportive. Sometimes they don't know that they're not getting laugh. And uh, um, you mean in LA they're supportive? I think they're very supportive. But some, other comics or the who the clubs? I think open mic scenes. It's a, I mean at least I, I recently checked open mic scenes. It's very different, but they're so supportive. But I think sometimes um, I watch them like I don't get. Okay, you, you watch football, right? Yeah. Okay, so have you seen a scene where a quarterback will throw interception and an announcer is saying, like, what did he possibly saw in that situation? Like, <laughs> right. So sometimes these new open markets are doing a bit. It's not even interesting or funny. And I think, I don't, I think it helped to be a little critical. Um, New York City is a great comedy scene because people could be really cruel. But, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, they want you to know you're not doing something right and get better. Well, I mean, you, you tend to rise up to the competition, yeah. I think, you know, and when there's a lot of competition, you got to bring your A game. Sure. You know, but... Um, and Chicago's a great comedy scene. It's a great mean, comedy she, scene, I mean, but it was mostly uh, improv. It's known for that, you know, Second City and uh, the UCB guys started there. I started with a lot of those guys and Improv Olympic and all those things started. Improv was kind of king there, and we were the other... Stand-up was kind of like a different world, although we kind of mixed in a lot of the same bars <laughs> at the end of the night. But um, I mean, Bill Murray's from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. all those guys. Belushi and, yeah. and uh, most of all the first SNL cast and all that stuff. So where did you grow up? Um, first 10 years in Japan, then I moved to uh, Tacoma and Bremerton, Washington after that. Okay. After my parents divorced. And I lived there. It was... Basically going back and forth between L.A. and Seattle for a while. Yeah. So Yoshi Obayashi. Yeah. I said that right, which is an awesome Japanese name. It couldn't nice. be more Japanese. If you were writing a script and said, I need a Japanese guy, Yoshi Obayashi, an awesome cast name. That's a pretty common name, too. Yoshi? <laughs> yeah. Or Obayashi as well. Both of them. Yeah. It's like I know a there's a lot of Yoshis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, uh, what kind of business were your parents in that moved them to, or one parent moved to Seattle? My mom got, you know, they divorced, and uh, my mother basically dropped me and my brother with her sister in Washington State. We didn't really see her the next five years. And uh, what made it difficult for us was we're, we were born in Japan, and we have Japanese name, but we're ethnically Korean. So when we moved, oh. to, when we moved to Washington State, and it was Bremerton, Washington, which is naval town. 
and there was a lot of World War II veteran, and mm-hmm. Japanese do not do a good job educating their young about their crimes and atrocities. Their role in yeah. World War II, right. So we learned World War II history really hard way because uh, we were the few Japanese people with Japanese name moving there, and uh, and my family in, in Washington State, they only spoke English and Korean, so you know we couldn't even... So we have to deal with American culture, English, and my aunt's Korean language and Korean culture. Oh, boy. So, so it was really confusing. Not not to mention we were also illegal alien for the first 10 years. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. And I guess because I didn't have a passport for a long I had a Korean passport. I couldn't use it. So once I was a naturalized citizen years later, when I had an opportunity to travel, that's when I started doing it in my 30s. So your mother was Korean? Yeah. And she married a Japanese guy? No, my dad was ethnic Korean, too. Um, With Yobayashi name? Well, it's... <laughs> How did that work? Um, they used to force you to have Japanese name. So you had ah. a, two separate names. Um, it's not really the case anymore, but you have... Well, it's like Jewish people living in Europe, and they have to change their name oh, yeah. to make your lives easier. So it's very similar life. But in Japan, in past, they forced you to have a Japanese name, you know, because okay. Japan occupied Korea for 35 years. And so, the Koreans have not forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Korea, and uh, yeah, they, there's a lot of bad blood there. I have mixed feeling because it is still the country I was born into, and... I feel bad when people badmouth Korean people, but at the same time, I have a feeling for Japan because I was there. So I'm in a really weird spot. And anytime I hear these stories where, you know, Japanese getting beat up in Korea or especially in China and Chinese getting beat up in Japan, it really upsets me because the Japanese live in China. They actually like Chinese people. They learn the language. They're, they're the ones uh, who are trying to, uh, br- build a bridge between the two yeah. countries and just like the Chinese getting discriminated in Japan those are the people who like Japan and learn Japanese languages things like that right. it's people who who are just good decent people um, I hate saying that you know and um, I have a lot of mixed feelings but I hope things get better but people like you going to Japan and places like that China and Korea I think it's great because you guys are like a miniature ambassador. Well, that's like me going there and getting beaten mm. up for being an American. And I was like, no, I'm one of the good ones that, <laughs> that appreciate other cultures. You're I'm not the problem. Yeah. I'm not the problem. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm the recipient of that. But, you know, I'm used to finding Amer- anti-American sentiment in any country I go to. But um, you know, you're just going to get it. But I, I would see that around, uh, you know, the Japanese are, are big travelers and have been for the last you know, 40 some odd years, you know, they're known for really, they travel a lot. But, and so, the but con- when they go around as, as a Japanese mm-hmm. person going, you know, but I would I'd be in Korea or something, or sure. I'd be in uh, Vietnam or any of the countries that they, you know, or Thai or Philippines or something, you know, where they have kind of a, a reputation, you know, sure. there's a long history there. Um, and I haven't seen any in- instances, but I know there's got to be some locals that might be more hostile to them. I'm sure they they feel conflicted because on one hand they need the money. Oh yeah, absolutely need the money, but um, that not acknowledging what they really did, you know, and that's what really upset the rest of the country. Uh, that's that's what I think is like. And you know, when I was in Seoul, they still have the comfort women, sure, who you know, there's still some of them alive, and all they want is an apology from the Japanese government, and they still haven't gotten it. 
you know, just kind of an acknowledgement. And I will say that about the Germans. I, you know, my family, I've had family that died in, in the war. You know, I have a half a Jewish side and, you yeah. know, it was rough. So, but I, I will say about in Germany, they are pretty good about accepting that this happened and they have monuments and then are tasteful about it and they still accept sure. it and, and they're, and uh, have acknowledged it. Unlike other countries, say, like, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. But unlike other countries, say, like, Austria or uh, Japan, who kind of like try to sweep it under the rug, you know, I think it's better to just kind of face it. You know what I mean? I've, I've been going to Germany for years, and um, um, they have done outstanding job. Yeah, and I they're think- in a tough spot. You know, they're like, oh, it happened, but... Yeah, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. They, they've done an outstanding job, but the, I think they're going other extreme. Like, you know, it's okay to be proud of German flag during the Olympics and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I find German people, once you get to know them, very kind. And I like the country a lot. And I think most Japanese people do agree with what we were saying. They're just afraid because they do everything in a group mentality. They, they don't want to be the first one to do it. But um, when you meet most Japanese, they're decent people. They're just. Uh, I think most of it they they don't know about it because they don't teach the atrocity in in schools, and if they once they know about it, they feel really bad about it. Absolutely, do feel bad about it. It's just um, um, they're just yeah. it's a cultural guys, trait that is make it difficult for them to say sorry. Yeah, they're not really learning about the Bataan Death March and all that other yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, like, what was on the angle of being a, a Japanese student? What was what did they tell you about say like Pearl Harbor or any of those things? What was the angle they took? I mean, how did they describe it? I left when I was fourth grade, so they didn't cover a lot. But um, or even in the media or the local TV or well, they will say that that you know um, for many years Asia was colonized by European power, um, and most Chinese will agree with that, and they were humiliated. And at uh, in 1905, the Russo-Japanese War, that was the first time a non-European power was able to beat Russia. So it was like they had a great opportunity to be a leader of Asia and, and help these uh, colonized Asian countries to free liberate themselves. But they copied the Western way too much, and they become colonizer themselves. Um, I'm sorry. What was the oh, question again? Was I mean, it? What, how was it portrayed to you, like the oh, war, and the, so, as a kid? So they were saying that uh, Western power uh, represented by the United States, they didn't want Japan to be a great power because Japan needed resources from the rest of Asia. And they were making it very difficult for them to expand Japanese uh, power uh, in places like China. So they felt like they have to fight with American uh, Americans. And Emiro Yamamoto was actually educating Harvard. He didn't believe they were able to beat America, but he was hoping for surprise attack. Maybe the Americans are willing to make quick treaties and let Japanese be Japanese in, yeah. in, in Asian. In the hopes but of not getting fire, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. In the hopes of not getting involved. But, um, okay, so now let's go back to you. You're 10 years old. Yeah. You grew up speaking Japanese and Korean. Uh, very little Korean. Very yeah. little Korean. Yeah. And so now you got to come to America. Yes. You got to learn English. And so you're already behind. That's got to be tough. It, it, it was very difficult. But I have to say, once they get to know you, Americans are very uh, friendly. And I don't think people in this country get enough credit how uh, nice we are. Because every time there's some crazy incident of racial incidents like Ferguson, but whenever I travel overseas, 
there's more racism overseas than the United yeah, States. That's my bad. experience. It's uh, you know, we we are in a very and we're more hypersensitive to it with slavery and everything else, but also because it, you forget how diverse America is. You it's know, hard to be racist here. I, I mean, you can do it, but yeah. it's hard. Now, I mean, and it's shrinking, thank goodness. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just in you know, Eastern Europe, you know, in Croatia, and, and I mean, it's it's all white folks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when it's in a homogenized place, uh, I mean, there's a lot of racism in Japan, sure, a lot, you know, and the, but, but wherever everybody, it's really homogenous, and they don't deal with other races. They're, uh, you know, you're going to be ignorant. There's going to be a lot more ignorance. Biggest problem, because I agree with you, there's racism. Australia, too. It's crazy white, you know, and it's, <laughs> they're just not used to diversity. There's a lot of racism in Japan and, and, and rest, uh, all over the world. Yeah. Biggest problem is, like, quite often, they don't know they're being racist. That's the problem, you know? Like, it doesn't bother me every time I'm overseas and kids see me, they, they call me Jackie Chan or do the Kung Fu moves, right, you yeah. know? Because it's not a malicious thing. They've really never seen an Asian person, you know? But I think, I think you, know, you also will probably know when somebody be malicious against you. Oh, yeah. And it usually comes down when the, uh, it's more about jobs and immigration and that yeah. kind of thing. You know, you really see it's one thing if you're a visitor. But when you're moving in and taking work, that's when they get a little worried. Yes. And, once the, and it's true of this country. You saw once the economy crashed... All of a sudden, people started looking at the immigrants. Oh, we got to build a wall higher. We got to, you know. Yes. It's the it's a knee jerk reaction that it's been going on forever. You know, when shit goes bad, point to the poorest. You know, the one who's different. He's taking your job. That guy over there, the one who's different there with his crazy language and whatever. And the job that you don't really want. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just right. a horrible jobs. So I don't know why would you want the job <laughs> that they're doing it, but. Mm-hmm. But I also find in Japan. Maybe you can correct me on this. The Japanese kind of have a tendency also to kind of like look down on the other Asian cultures. Is that what I – I kind of got that. They'll kind of look down as on the the Chinese or the Koreans or the uh, the even the Thai and the Vietnamese as kind of being like kind of dirtier and lower class. Do you, do you know that um, test that they show you in the psychology 101 classes? They, it's it's an uh, ink block test and it's it depends on your personality. You either see – young woman or old lady and it's like what you're saying is absolutely true um but there's other side to it they really believe like they're very distinct because they're separated from rest of the asia because they're island country yeah it's an, and some people hey, the british kind of have it too you know with yeah. the rest of europe you know and Donald Ritchie, he's American. Um, I don't know if he's still alive, but he is like one of those great film critics. He was there when um, Akira Kurosawa made it, uh, Rashomon. He, yeah. he speaks Japanese, studies Japanese art and language, and he's just like one of those master uh, guy. And he said that the, that the religion in Japan is not Shintoism, Buddhism, or Confucianism. It's been Japanese. And I guess they feel they're so distinctly different because recently during World Cup, a lot of uh, reporters were saying how amazing the Japanese clean up the, after their mess at stadium. They yeah. were the only one to do that. <laughs> I got to admit that it is a clean place. It's a one way. It's, so it's two things to look at it. One, that's really nice for them to say, uh, nice for them to clean up and be uh, respectful. That's a one, one nice way to see it. Other horrible way of saying is they're probably saying like, we're better than the rest of you guys because this is how we behave. You know, we always conduct ourselves. So, I could see both sides to that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as a group, I, 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 there's some good and bad, but individually, I've always had a good relationship、uh, in Japan. So, but I, I have to acknowledge there's some ignorant people in Japan, just like in the、oh, yeah. rest of Asia. Yeah. Every, everybody has them. We all got them.、Uh, what was the hardest、uh, thing to transition? What was the hardest part about the move as a kid? And what, what amazed you the most about America and what scared you the most about America? I, I was surprised by. How big and beautiful it was because I was born in Osaka, Japan, which is considered like almost like Detroit slash Chicago, Japan. Osaka? Yeah. Yeah. It's the third largest city in Japan. And I couldn't believe how clean the air was, the road, the, just、uh, all that environmental policy we take granted in,、uh, in the West Coast. Oh, well, Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's, I mean, it's beautiful up there. It's beautiful up there. But I was shocked by the portion of food you get. Yeah, everybody is. Because the, my dad was like stunned when we went to some、um, <laughs> diner. Because the, the menu looks like Tenth Commandment, you know? Like, yeah, I know. We, the 50 pages. Yeah, it is like. <laughs> and we couldn't believe how cheap the food were. Because when I grew up, the watermelon, you could buy them for like $25, $30, maybe even $50, you know? And just the food it was so cheap and abundant in the States, you know? Yeah, I mean, Japan's expensive. It's、Everything's、totally、expensive. expensive over there, yeah. I think I stopped. No, I don't have the, I didn't check the map, but so I took the bullet train from Tokyo to、uh, Kyoto. Oh, yeah, that's a nice. Did it, one. it made one stop along the way. Was that in Osaka? Would that have been? It could be Osaka or Nagoya in between. Maybe it was Nagoya. And、mm, maybe both. I don't remember. But the bullet train was cool. It's, it's great and have a nice meal on it. Oh,、yeah. that was one of those you ride. It's like, God, why don't we have these? You know, I so wish we had these. There's no excuse for us not to have like one from here to San Diego and one from here to San Francisco or Vegas. Vegas. Every time we go to Vegas, Vegas, I go, how could we not have a bullet train rocketing through this desert? I, I think it would do wonder, but、um, I, I think it's really hard to ask people to make sacrifices. You know, I, can't, I can only imagine it would probably take, what, 10 years, 15 yeah, years to build something、yeah, like political, that? It's political and yeah. Yeah, you can't do it. But、um, okay, so we get there, you're Seattle, and.、Uh, Any, was there a part of you? Did, did you really want to go back? Did you, or did you say, okay, we're here now, we're going to stay? Or was there, did your family ever say, you know, this is only temporary? Or were you like, nope, we're here to stay? You're an American now. It sounded like it was permanent. I, I was very sad because you do miss simple things like food and your friends.、Um, but I have to admit, I really like. You know, to me, America, when I was a kid, like that scene from Star Wars, remember that、uh, bar scene and all the weird looking people <laughs>、yeah. there? I was just fascinated by it. You know, when I first saw a black person, you know,、yeah. because I saw them only in TV, I saw the first white person in, in Japan, they're a Mormon missionary. And, you know, I was, I couldn't, I just, you know, I just, you just can't <laughs>、yeah. believe it as a kid. But I think I just like so many different types of people here. And religion is another thing. Like, we just never talk about religion in Japan. It just, we just don't do that.、Right. So I was really interested by that too.、Um, and I just think, you know, we get bad rap once again, but I don't think we give enough credit for USA. It's an amazing place. And when I travel overseas,、uh, they're always happy to see.、It. I think my experience, even when I went to Afghanistan, they were really happy to meet Americans. And even people who might not like Americans, When you talk about American movies, man, forget about yeah, it. Our culture goes all over. They, they, all they're, over. They're addicted to it. And 
couple guys were telling me even Taliban likes those Rambo movies. Yeah, they all know Schwarzenegger yeah. and and, uh, and Rambo and all those things. They love American movies, and we're in the hot bit of Hollywood. I mean, we're in Hollywood, so it's yeah. uh, it's really fun to see some of my friends in movies or TV movies, you know, and and to watch them in Amsterdam or Sweden. <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Well, what were you doing in uh, Amsterdam? Or I mean, not Amsterdam in uh, Afghanistan. I, I have a friend named uh, Sam Hosseini. He runs uh, just about every major media company in Afghanistan. He's a friend of my friend Jim Norton, the comedian's manager. Oh. So I met him. I just saw him uh, a couple of days ago, first time a year and a half. He was speaking at RAN Corporation with a guy named Carlos Slam. He's like the first. Oh, the like richest the red, yeah, guy. The Mexican guy. Yeah. yeah. So um, my friend Jonathan, who travels all over the world, Works with Vice, so he was kind enough to introduce me to interesting people from around the world. And saw to him, if you ever want to come to Afghanistan, come over. So I lost my job 2012, and within six months, I decided to go as a vacation. I went and vacation in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Sure, why not? <laughs> it's it's. Um, I always think I try to not think counterintuitively. So whenever U.S. Department said don't go someplace, that's when I feel like to go. <laughs> time to go. Now, were you going in there with a with a U.S. passport or your old? I only have a U.S. passport now. Okay, so you only have a U.S. Yeah. Passport. Okay, so it's legal for a, you went on a business visa or something. Um, uh, I guess a travel visa, but you have to have they have to you have to have some contact over there. Yeah. And uh, my friend Saad is a very important guy. To, I mean, he was one of the, um, you know, that Time Magazine have that issue, like 2011, uh, 100 most influ- influential people. Saad was one of those guys three oh. years ago. And Rupert Murdoch actually wrote, wrote about him. So he's a big wig in, in uh, um, Afghanistan. So I put his name, you know, and where I'll be staying. Um, most difficult thing was I have to go back and forth between consulate getting my paperwork right they always find something wrong and every time I find like why didn't you tell me the last time I was here so it literally took me go back and forth for like three weeks finally got everything right and you submit criminal record um, your passport um, you know I don't know $150 get a visa or something like that but eventually got it and um, I had a shows in Europe so I was in Europe then once I was done with the shows, I flew into Dubai. Then after that, Afghanistan. Wow. So you go into Kabul? Yeah. And how big of a city is that? Hmm? How big of a city is Kabul? Is it like a million people or something? Oof, you, is it that big or it's, bigger? It's, it's, put, it's the biggest city in Afghanistan. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of Tijuana, oddly, oddly way. <laughs> um, Donkey shows? Well, no. <laughs> but I'm but sure. they're their goat shows. Yeah. <laughs> and... It's similar to Denver that it's high elevation and it's very dusty and and I guess to most normal people, like why would you go there? But I was so excited. because um, growing up in Japan, you know, there was a lot of Persian people in Japan because many of the Iranians who didn't want to fight Iraq in the eighties, they fled to um Japan, because Japan tried to have very friendly relationship with Middle East because they're dependent on, on the oil. oil yeah. So they don't want to get into any sort of problem there. So growing up, whenever I saw Middle Eastern person, I thought they were from Okinawa because they're dark <laughs> and they spoke very good Japanese. So <laughs> I've always never had a fear about the Middle Easterners. And um, I've been to Turkey and the United Arab Emirates. But Afghanistan, man, I was so excited. You know, it was just like I was going nuts. I, I just uh, wanted to explore the city. And they even took me to the Panjshir Valley, which is uh, 
just magnificent. You know, there's no Taliban there because most of the ethnic groups are Tajiks mm-hmm. and uh, Russian tanks everywhere. Oh, blown up to from pieces. From the 80s? Yeah, just blown up to pieces. And when you get there, I don't think you need to take uh, foreign policy 101 to know that it's insane that they've been trying to take over a place like that. It's just so mountainous, yeah. you know. It's, it's just uh, yeah, I, I don't that was going to ask you because you know, we're what, 12 years into uh, the mm-hmm. war or whatever and uh what's the status there? What's what's happening? There must be still American troops everywhere, right? Or- There's American troops and saw um, you know, he updates me on things and and I have a lot of a lot of my friends are still working there. And and here's another thing: they always talk about ugly Americans. They don't emphasize enough these young Americans living in those tough places, trying to do good, whether in their health or um, trying to help them with their businesses or farming. They don't get enough credit, and believe me, they're not getting paid a lot of money. Most of my friends, they don't. And and these are private contractors, or in the are they in the service? Uh, some of the service people, but they're NGOs living there. Yeah. And I have my friend Kimberly Martley. She is half uh, African-American and half Korean. She's the only person practicing law in Afghanistan. And she's done some amazing cases over there. You know, these women are getting abused by their husbands and, and uh, expats in, in prison uh, in, in Afghanistan. And she took me to uh, Polycharki Prison, the biggest prison in Afghanistan, and they execute, you know, between thirty to fifty thousand people there. Soviets, uh, Afghans, and other foreigners there. And um, she's doing this important work for expats. You know, they got criminal problems, and uh, it's astonishing because many of the judges cannot read in Afghanistan, and, and they're supposed to follow law. You know, and Kimberly's there and representing these women and expats there, and just uh, miscarriage of justice and it's really scary because she doesn't cover her hair she drives in Afghanistan and most Afghans don't know what to do deal with her you know and, uh, but she told me dealing with uh, uh, inner cities in Milwaukee was tougher than um, <laughs> Afghanistan <laughs> so I mean could you I, I, I kind of see this like when, when I went to Vietnam I've been there a couple of times Love you, to go. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, but you look at it and you go, you know, there was no way. What What was the plan? You know, when yeah. we went in there, and there's, what do you do? They're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? They'll stay and fight till they die. Sure. And we'll stay and fight till your hitch is up, and then, and eventually we'll get tired and we'll go back home. And they know that. So I got to think everybody, every terrorist or whatever or enemy of us. Or anybody local in Afghanistan and in Iraq, the same thing. Sure. They go, this is our home. We're not going anywhere. Eventually, you'll go, and we'll wait. Like this ISIS thing, you know, they popped up out of nowhere. Oh, sure. They're like, we'll wait. You know, the Taliban, they're taking back stuff. And it's like, because eventually, we're going to leave. And, and I'm just hopeful when I meet, whenever I meet a uh, people, a person like you, because if they just knew 50 years ago that Vietnamese and Chinese hated each other, this... <laughs> Yes. They hate each other for thousands of years, and this fear about you know red communism spread up. I mean, the Russians didn't trust Chinese, and, and you know oh. vice versa. So, um, did you ever see the fog of war? That, that oh movie? yeah, that was the greatest line in it. When when McNamara had like a later in life, you know, twenty years after the war, Finally met, he had a dinner. Day. He had a dinner with the the North Vietnamese general that who yeah. was his enemy. And the North Vietnamese guy said, 
what were you thinking? What were you doing? And he said, oh, we thought we were gonna, you were going to you know, align with the Chinese. And he goes, didn't you ever read a history book? We yeah. hate the Chinese. We've been fighting the Chinese for a thousand years. And McNamara's like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. And it's like when they drew up Iraq, you know, it's like, let's put the Kurds and the Sunnis and the Shiites together and we'll just make up a country. And, and they thought like it would work. And no, that's a great example because <laughs> yeah. T.E. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Arabia, he was an entomologist, archaeologist. He knew the, the difference between ethnic groups. They're just not Muslims. And he actually produced this map that would have been more healthy for people in the Middle East. But as you know, the French, the Britain, just carve up the whole area <laughs> the way they, it was fitting for them. And, and we're still dealing with that after yeah. all these years, you know. But uh, I can't say enough. Like, it's good to send money for foreign aids, but when people travel, they're really helping those places. And, and like, uh, when Rosie told me about you, you know, like, I, just, I just support any travel shows <laughs> and travelers in general. What did, uh, what did you do while you were there? Did you just hang around with your powerful friend and go to his meetings, or did you really get down um, into the sticks? Both times... Sa wasn't there. He was his travel all over the world all the time. So I, I ended up hanging out with expats, and I ended up hanging out with Sa's mother and father. And I didn't know until they told me in sixties, Kabul, Kabul, Kabul was like yeah, Paris. Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was would, Beirut. Beirut was like the Paris of the, uh, the Middle East. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And she showed me a picture of her walking around in the places I was at in miniskirts, and like I couldn't imagine. And so. Son's father was once they fled Afghanistan, he became diplomat for Australia to Japan. So Son actually spoke very good Japanese. So when I had dinner, I would talk to Son's father about Afghanistan and the politics and, and you know the people who were fighting each other in Afghanistan. Just a fascinating guy. Then after after meal, I watched soap opera with Son's mother, and it's interesting to watch soap opera because um, it gave women possibility that. My God, oh my, oh Allah, whatever, however yeah. you want to say it, that, that in other countries, women have a freedom. They are driving. It gives hope just even watching those television shows. Were these American soap operas? Uh, mostly Latin and... Oh, the and, telenovela, and, Mexican? Oh, they ones? love that. <laughs> They're so overly dramatic and like, and, and, Maria. Yes, exactly. Por favor. <laughs> and they will also show uh, soap opera from Turkey, but... You know, to us, we take those things for granted, but it gives hope to those people yeah. in Afghanistan. And um, every once in a while, they'll blur uh, people's legs and, like, neck area. And they don't show any kissing or anything like that? No. I thought they were covering a brand, but they said, no, they, they, can't, they can't even show the neck or cleavage at some point oh, or wow. ankle. Yeah. And, but it was fun watching Soul Problem with her because I don't know what they're saying, but just watching, you could tell, like, Oh my gosh, she's cheating on her husband, this and that. So it, it was really fun. Uh, I will spend dinner time with them. But during the day, uh, I had a, a translator, driver, two bodyguards, but I'll hang out with other expats. And that was really fascinating. It just really gave me hope about these expats. Uh, or most both, of them from Europe or mostly from here? Uh, Europe, uh, North America, um, some, some from Asia, especially from Japan. And. Yeah, they're just, they're just really fun. And, you know, it takes a special person to want to go places like that work. So it, it was really fun to meet people from uh, – and they, they treat me very well too because what kind of person would come to Afghanistan for vacation? So, <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly how much alcohol we found. Oh, Afghanistan. really? Yeah, I sneaked stuff in too. They, they didn't check. So hmm. um, 
And, much, the, and, and uh, when they took me to Panjshir Valley, it was uh, incredible. Yeah. How much damage did you see? Like how much uh, like rubble or buildings destroyed and all that stuff? You, you, do, you do see that quite a bit. Um, it was strange. When I was there, nothing happened both times. In fact, second time was last year on April 15th. It was a day of Boston Marathon bombing, mm. and, and uh, I just landed. So I was taking a nap, and I just heard. I, I thought maybe it was like abortion clinic or something. You know, I didn't know the extent, of, the size of it. And um, the joke the whole week that everyone was teasing me was the Afghans were telling me like, "Yoshi, America is such a dangerous place. Look at what's going on in Boston," because <laughs> nothing really happened when I was there. But um, I was so comfortable, and I was walking with my friend Nando. I didn't even. I got so comfortable that I didn't even have a security guard. We just walked, and I don't think you could do it, but I look like uh, uh, Hazaras, one of the ethnic group. So I dressed down, you know, put a little bit of dirt on my face. I look like a local, <laughs> as long as I don't open my stupid mouth, you know. Right, right, boy, yeah, yeah. They know me. They really think, ah, oh, Yankee. So did um, okay after Afghanistan. How long were we there? Um, two times, maybe like three weeks total. Oh, okay, the, the, wow. Two, and the food was great. And I have to mention this one thing. You didn't get sick? Um, I got sick when I got back. Oh, okay. I don't know how much of it is true, but because the, the plumbing situation with the whole city. So some people said there's a certain percentage of fecal management error. I don't know mm, if that's true. Yeah. Um, but I I didn't care. I was, I was <laughs> really excited. I, I don't know. I, you strike me like a sports fan. Mm-hmm. This only happened to me once, and it only happened in Afghanistan. They finally had a football league, soccer, I guess we yeah. want to call it here. Saw that was instrumental in creating APL, uh, Afghan Premier League. And I was there the second day of the game. And, of course, men and women are separated. Of but course. they were so excited to have an entertainment you know, when you go to the stadium, there's always somebody say, your team suck, your mother this, F this, <laughs> like that. They were so excited. They didn't even care who won. It was the first time in my sports experience where everyone was so happy to stay here. Everybody was so friendly. And uh, it was really nice to see no finger pointing, no violence. And, and, and oddly enough, I have to go to Afghanistan to find that kind of funness no, in sports. I, I see games all over the, the world, you know, so I've had some pretty intense scary sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, experiences how many teams are in the league oh i don't i, I can't like four remember four or five or something like that. no it was more than that but um it, you know they even had one in like Pench, uh hellman province you know just really rough places like i i couldn't possibly drive there i might have to fly in um <laughs> but it, it's great to give people hope and my friend oliver runs a organization called skate stand they provide skateboarding to young kids because he was visiting 10 years ago and um, kids are mesmerized by skating because they didn't have, they never seen it. I'll make the story short, he was able to raise money to have skate park where kids have to go in. They have to study. Then they're allowed to skate. They even have a girls' dates. And, uh, you know, I, I love hearing stories like this because, you know, if you don't give people opportunity, terrorist group will get those people, you know. So, um, yes, We've done some bad things in Afghanistan, but you don't hear enough how good Americans have done. And many uh, average non-Taliban Afghan love Americans. Absolutely, Americans appreciate what we do. With we did for them, you know. So um, no, that's interesting. We don't hear that. We only hear bad news. So if you were president, 
and then we'll get off of Afghanistan and we'll talk about uh, Europe because you just got back, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, if you were president or the king of the world, uh, what would your plan be for that country? What could you do? What would you do after seeing it? Just for being there three weeks, I know that it's asking a lot, but if, on first glance. Oh, one, well, I know this is not a popular idea. One, I will absolutely legalize drugs. Because there's a lot of drug, drug business. Well, well another heroin. reason I was excited to meet you because traffic and uh, um, <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the movie. Yes, <laughs> I, yeah. I think I think if you legalize drug, I, I think um, it'll help their economy. Uh, whether people like it or not, heroin is made in Afghanistan, and and every April money is flowing there. Um, so legalizing it, providing um, healthy export for Afghan economy, I think it'll be good. But I would definitely have a um, more liberal policy allowing these educated Afghans uh, leave the country and not be afraid to uh, leave and come and go. You know, I, I would definitely do that because my friend started an organization called Own One Minute One Women a Year dot org, and they're sending these girls to Oxford. You know, because um, people in Pakistan, these assholes, pardon my language, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, they're really, really afraid of. Educated women, and we want to. We definitely want to help them do that because they're very bright girls, and my friends are risking their life educating these girls in in Afghanistan. But yeah, f- uh, uh, provide you know education f- for people in Central Asia, basically. Uh, send them books, you know. Um, provide a program to let them leave and allow them to come back to educate Afghan. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. That's such a too weird thing, but education, drugs, I guess policies. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of drugs, let's yeah. go to let's talk about Amsterdam. Yeah, because <laughs> you were just there, and it's been like over twenty years since I've been there. Yes. So, um, how was Amsterdam? And tell me what you were doing there, because I think you mentioned it, or maybe Rosie mentioned what you were doing there, uh, and this was kind of interesting. So, it's not uh, a typical thing most people do in Amsterdam. Oh, so the magazine or. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you for asking because um, I'm wearing illegal T-shirt right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a friend in Denmark, uh, Michael Olson, started this thing called Illegal Magazine and Illegal. So um, he he was one of those uh, social entrepreneurs providing solution innovation for social problems. So he started in Romania with trying to help kids, homeless kids in Romania because nobody took care of them. When he moved back to Copenhagen, he noticed there was a lot of uh, addicts in his neighborhood. He basically did uh, what most decent do. Like, why are you doing drugs in this area? And why are you, you know, doing this and that? And basically they said that most heroin addicts in Copenhagen, they didn't have a safe place to do heroin. And um, um, they even, just freeze to death. Even that one, like, hippie area of Copenhagen? What's it called? The- they allow them to sell, like, hash and marijuana, but they do not allow, if I remember right, cocaine, heroin, things like right. that. What's what, what was what's the name of that neighborhood there? Christ- Christiania, Christiania or yeah. something like that? Okay. Um, it's a wonderful place. Please visit. Uh, do not take pictures. You will get beat up or, or you know, something like that. In but, Christiania. In yeah, you don't take pictures, you know. Yeah. Um, the main road is called Pusher Street, uh-huh. and... It's a communion place, and I think I think the Copenhagen government tried to get rid of it for many times. It never really worked out. But my friend Mike Olson uh, made a decision to drive his van with a doctor nurse and and pick up addicts, provide them a healthy place for them to inject heroin. He's not saying 
it's good to inject heroin. But if you're going to do it, we want to do at least amount of damage to everyone in society. So, so like clean needles and that clean kind of needles, thing? Clean needles, yes. And, and um, you know, government didn't like it. But eventually even government and police have to admit it's working. Many of the heroin addicts are, are not breaking into people's house, stealing stuff for drugs. They're not prostituting themselves. And and they have a fa- uh, safe place to go to sleep, take a shower, um, uh, and uh, work. And uh, there is also a place called um, uh, Danish Drug Users Union. Uh, they work with uh, illegal people. Uh, it's a facility if you want to uh, sleep and work on your resume and work out. Uh, they teach you job skills. You know, they, they really have a different attitude about drug issues, you know. And... Um, so eventually, it worked so well that the government finally decided to implement that program for the city. And uh, Michael Olson, uh, bless his heart, he, he started this magazine called Illegal Magazine two years ago where only addicts are allowed to sell the magazine. So uh, they keep half the money, and they turn around and use the money to buy drugs. So they're not bothering anybody. And people who buy the magazine realize articles are written by the addicts and artists and, and, and be empathetic to the people and not, not think like you're better than them because it's not a moral issue. You know, these are like your brothers and sisters. That It's like a medical problem. There's no stigma of having cancer. So uh, we need to start changing the attitude. And he just uh, uh, messaged me this morning saying illegal magazines are uh, available in London. They have the same program in uh, uh, London now. And I'm trying to help people in hopefully in San Francisco because any sort of innovation starts in California, whether in L.A. and San Francisco. And I'm sure you have a very smart, savvy audience listening to this show. <laughs> you know, we, we, want, we, want, we want to help these people, you know, because it, it, it just breaks my heart, you know. I, I have many addict friends. I, I was friends with Mitch Hedberg, and I didn't know what to say. That's you know, great comedian that he was. You know, like what do you say to people with drugs? Am I crossing the boundary of friendship? You know, yeah. and I was very frustrated. You know, and people, there's a lot of actors with uh, drug problems. I'm sure. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, now along with the needle programs, though, is there? Do they offer counseling and try to get people off them? Sure. Okay. Yes, they want that. And, yeah. And when I went to Michael Olson's place in Copenhagen, it's a really nice facility. And many of the cook who made me meals are former addicts, you know. And uh, it's it's a wonderful story. And um, it's countering Twitter, but I think legalizing it ends a lot of the violence in places like Mexico City, you know, and, and, and deal with the problem, which is addiction, you know, and stop. It's a good business for government, sadly. It's a good it gives them a lot of power to break into your house just because they think you have drugs. And I, I'm very hopeful. I'm, 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 I'm a lot more hopeful than five years ago that because places like in Colorado and Washington State legalizing drugs, you know, because um, maybe I'm a little hard. I mean, at least. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm, I guess I'm a very, uh, I guess if I want to, I guess I'm a fundamentalist when it comes to <laughs> I want I, I, everything should be legalized because I've been to Spain and Portugal and it's really working and it's legal it's legal t- in Portugal for sure everything up to personal amount whatever that may be and they're dealing with it as a medical problem you know so um, when I was in Afghanistan we drove to Panjshir we saw a group of kids I kind of joking to say do you have a hash not even ten seconds guy pull a pound of a. Hash, you know, it was like fifty bucks or something a pound. A pound? Yes, 
40 bucks maybe. Wow. And then they start joking around laughing. I asked them, why are they laughing about it? They said, oh, if you, if you don't buy the drug, we're going to kill you. And they were just laughing about it, you know. And they were just joking, but <laughs> oh, God. it was a funny sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, God, that's scary. But I think, didn't you tell me you were in, was it Amsterdam, that your friend was in a, in a, in a porn business or something like that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I worked in a dope business for 14 years. I, um, I worked for a company called Evil Angel. I was a DVD producer for like... like Out here? Like in... In uh, uh, Van Nuys. Oh, sure. So I travel because of comedy. I travel also have to do with uh, adult business. Um, sometimes they kind of overlaps. So I could do a show at night and, and work during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Germany, a, a big part of it. But um, I am... Um, so, you know, like my friend David Tell had a show like called Dave's Old Porn. I was consultant. So anytime any TV or movie business need a porn performer, uh, some one way or another, I get a phone call and then I give a consultation like, okay, if you're going to get a porn girl A, and you looks like you want to get porn girl B, uh, I'm, I'm just letting you know they hate each other. It's not going to work. <laughs> So those are kind of things I save people time with, but um, I, I I'm also like, you know, legalizing prostitution, and you know a lot of people are like embarrassed to talk about it, but yeah, I I I I I, I see prostitute and uh, pay sex for money, and that's another thing that uh, sex tourism, you know, I travel and um, find out how people are treated, and I think you have the best scenario in places like Germany and Netherlands and Belgium because legal. Uh, is it a perfect system? No, but um, I think they have the system that um, um, and transmission of STDs, uh, trafficking. Um, you know, I, I think their program have the best way to deal with those issues: underage girls in prostitution. And mm-hmm. uh, there's not enough honest conversation about drugs and prostitution, things like that. No, and, I've seen it. You know, I mean, as someone who's traveled a lot, you know, you see the. You know the sex trade, sex yeah. tourism all over the world. I mean, of course, and you know people immediately think of places like Thailand and stuff like sure. that. But you know, when I went to Cuba, it was uh, it was very big there. It's you massive. Know, it's, yeah. it's 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 massive, and and um, yeah, it's a little. Uh, you know, I, I'm more like with you. You know, when you see it wide open and and just all the things that can go wrong, and what a massive industry it is. Yeah, maybe we should. Control it at least make it in a in a place where they can get tested and safe, yeah, and uh, regulate who's coming in and out of these uh, in, in terms of the women too, and yeah, and maybe you need a control to make sure there are no underage kids and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not for trafficking, absolutely not. But if you don't legalize it, even the decent people who see prostitutes who are legalized and they see traffic women. They can't go to police because the very activity of them seeing prostitute, they're doing something legal. So you're putting, shutting those people out. But I have to say, you know, uh, one case that this is like uh, amazing to me was that, you know, was it three years ago when the Secret Service were went to a President Obama in Colombia? Yeah. And they were ripping off those prostitutes because the, it was legalized. They went to the police. Even these men who work for one of the most powerful person in the world, they got in trouble because the women have a way. There's a certain mechanism to deal with grievance, you know. So, uh, who would have thought that secret service have to overhaul because, you know, they're being jerks and they're trying to rip off these women. But it also and, cuts down on the violence on women. Yes. So if a guy just says, you know, I'm not going to pay you, and then you know beats her up. Because they think, well, what are you going to do? Run to the cops? Yes. You know, you're you're breaking the law. So I mean, they now if they can know that this girl can go run to the cops, 
maybe they'll treat her better. You know what I mean? In Germany, it's been legal for like 12 years. And like even police saying like, oh, yeah, have a good time. They're standing in front of the brothel. They don't bother people, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, look, no, there's, it's not 100% perfect. But um, I, I just think they're, they're, they're doing an outstanding job protecting women better than the rest of the world. Because prostitution is everywhere. I even saw prostitutes in, in Afghanistan. You just oh, go to sure. any Chinese restaurant, there, there are prostitutes there. Are they all Chinese? Um, it, it could mostly, but you, every once in a while you see women from East Europe, Eastern Europe and like even Russians. Oh, yeah, you know? the Russians. Yeah. yeah. I'll see them in, uh, I remember it was in Thailand as well. Oh, yeah. They'll be, sure. you know, all the same. It's all Thai girls and, uh, and boys in, uh, in the, uh, in the bars. And then there'll be one with like these, all these tall blonde women. I'm like, what the hell? Where, Where are they, are they going? Yeah. That's like Russian owned and they bring in these girls from from Eastern Europe and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a big, it's so much vice out there. And there's got to be a way, I don't know. I mean, you can't be a prude in your business, for sure. I mean, no. Would I, you, what, would you in, do all those laws here? I mean, would you do like a German model of prostitution in America? You think it would work with all the, I don't think it would ever pass with all the Bible thumpers. It's, it's this, difficult, but if I had an app, I don't want to be a dictator, but if, <laughs> if, if I, I, I would definitely legalize drugs, everything, in, in prostitution, and we need to re-examine immigration policy for sure. And um, did I, you I, ever I, get legal? I mean, are you you got a passport now, so yeah, I guess I'm you're legal, legal now. How did you get legal? Because uh, President Reagan passed amnesty in 1986, and because of that, I received my green card. And finally, I had a green card by '89 or '90. And then five years later, I just passed the test and had a U.S. citizen, and uh, uh, that's one of my most pro- one of my prized possession beside my brother and you know, uh, not prized, but most important thing in my life having a U.S. citizenship. And I don't understand when people want to have dual dual citizenship because I, I just think U.S. passport being American. Uh, I, I just fucking oh sorry I I, okay. I, 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 I really lo- love I love being American you know and, well I have a friend who was like uh, had parents from somewhere else and so he's got like an American and a Canadian passport yeah and uh, so but sometimes it's easier <laughs> to travel on the mm-hmm. Canadian passport uh, he'll pay less in some certain visas for and uh, he can go to places like Canada sure you know and stuff like that that we can't go I mean not can't I mean uh, Cuba. But you know, you, our Cuban policy, by the way, is ridiculous. It's I mean, absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, it's failed. And you're just hurting the uh, the poor yeah. Cuban people. I was there, and it's like everybody's still. It's been 50 years. Castro's still in power. Everybody's still really poor. It's like who who won here? Who's winning? I don't know. It's and it's, every other country in the world can go there except us. Everybody can do business there except us. We'll do business with China. Yes, we'll do business. It's not about communism, you know. I got clothes in my. Closet made in Vietnam and, you know, all these places. What's the, you know, so what are we going to get? It, it, Give it, us their cigars, rum, and baseball players. That's all we want from them anyway. And they, they have a great <laughs> baseball player, yes. Jasmine's, and uh, not to mention beautiful place that they could build hotels and things like that. But it's the same group of people kept Al Gore in power, my, my attitude. It's the people, the Cubans in, in Miami. In Miami, yes. yeah. And because... it's a swing state and every vote counts. And they were mad. It's the hanging Chad. We learned that in 2000. Absolutely. Every single vote here. That's why the Armenians here in Glendale, they want an apology from Turkey for the genocide. But uh, there's so many of them. There's like, what, a couple million Armenians out here. But still, they're a drop in the bucket in California. If they moved to 
like what are the the same swing? Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida. I didn't even think about that one. Every every president would listen to them and go, okay, put pressure on Turkey because we need all those you know two million My, votes in brilliant. Miami. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that. They want an apology. Go go down and move to Florida. You'll be heard. You'll be heard. Because there's only one more year before the, the whole world will acknowledge the uh, Armenian genocide in 1915, and they, I guess that's the law. Like if you don't acknowledge within hundred years. You lost the chance to have it acknowledged from the rest of the world, <laughs> and every time these Democrats promise them, every time these policy Republicans whatnot, they promise Armenians they're going to do it. As soon as they're in power, they realize they have to have a good relationship with Turkey, and they mm-hmm. have to have a good relationship with Israel and things like that, uh, which is sad because Israel, you know, with the whole Holocaust, they, you would think they'd be sympathetic, but they have to have a good relationship with Turkey and. They will probably have their allies be told a bill. You know? you know, Turkey is our. We're finding this out. And people are learning more often that this is. You know, Turkey is the border between Europe yeah. and Asia. You know, it's the Muslim country that we need to. You know, kind of like be that buffer zone, really, and it's our link to the Middle East. You <laughs> know, and and they're important. They're really important. Richard, um, President Nixon, before a year before he died on on uh, Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose asked him, if you have a chance to travel, where would you like to go? And he said, Turkey. And Charlie Rose asked, why? Because Turkey is that, that literally that, that, the road that connects to Europe, Asia, Middle East, and Africa. It really is the crossroad of the wor- uh, whole world. Yeah. And, and I think the Ottoman Empire. Yes. I mean, it was massive. And they're trying so hard to be part of a EU, European Union, but there's some things that they have to change for the European to be comfortable with. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, they got their issues. Believe me, but I did like Istanbul though. That was oh, a cool it's beautiful. Place. That was a cool. Place. So give me your. Uh, let's get on your uh, your top favorite countries. Give me your top. Uh, give me your top three or four. If you had, to, if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, places that I haven't been, or oh no, that you have been. I have been. Okay. Um, I I love the Netherlands. Um. Not They're, for the food, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I I always had appreciation because their pragmatism and um, you know they have a history with tolerance and you know uh, they're they're tall they're really tall they're, they're tall and they're <laughs> wicked sense of humor and if you like comedy um, you could say whatever the hell you want to say um, <laughs> but I have to say Netherlands for their their free way of thinking but Netherlands I I also liked. I always like Brazil a lot too. You can't go wrong in Brazil. I do Brazil, like Brazil, Netherlands, and if I have to pick one more, I really enjoy. Um, oh, I'm, I'm torn with Australia and, and Denmark. Okay, yeah, those, they're both those good. Are, yeah, and New Zealand. Oh, I'm, I'm being greedy there, but <laughs> but for for me, comedy wise, Denmark was the place for me. It's it's uh, it's the place that. God gave me the greatest response. You know, that you could be so dirty and dark. And Danes, you could say whatever. It's surprising how different te- uh, temperament are different between Swedes, 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 and Danish people. Is it that much of a difference? Mike, yeah, Denmark? I think if you go away from Stockholm, you don't have to worry about PC police. Uh, they're more earthly people, but um, Danes are—they're uh, unbelievable. You, you I say some god awful things up there, just god awful, <laughs> and I was really worried, like. My friend Jason Rouse took me there. He's big in the Scandinavia. And they're like, I don't know. Why, why would they get my jokes? Whatever. But it was rock room, 800, maybe 900 people there. 
And it was the, one of the best response I ever got. And I, w- I was really surprised that it's just another country with the people that really have so little in common. And it's their second, third, or fourth language. And I, I was just amazed by this. So yeah, it, yeah. I've been going there for the last four or five years. Oh, I'd love to go there. I would love oh, to go there. Love That'd you. be great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I mean, they're Danish. What do they have to worry about? You know, they got a great standard of living, everything's paid for. They're a wealthy country, they're beautiful people. Always considered like the happiest place yeah, in the well, planet. Yeah, and, and we forget how small these places. What is there, like 5 million people? And there's, or 15, maybe, tops? There's Oh, not even. Not, it, yeah, it's like, five, it's like some, 3 million, maybe? I met some da- Danish people, and they told me the population of the country. I went, you got to be shitting me. Is that it? That's it. was like, nobody. Sweden is like maybe 6 or 7 million. Yeah, you know? I think yeah. maybe Denmark might be 5 or something. But yeah, it's not much. It's, it's not, really much. not much. <laughs> Yeah, we forget how. That's another thing. You forget how massive uh, America is. I just it's drove huge. from uh, Indianapolis to California, and I, I was just like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe how big you did." You did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm from Chicago, so that's you didn't quite a drive. Did yeah. you do the northern route or the southern route? Did you go the old uh, Route 66 way? I went <laughs> eventually south. I went to to Kansas City to visit my friend. It was the same day. They they won the game and they they announced oh, the, the World Series. Oh yeah! So the place Fun. was going crazy, and from there I went down to South all the way to Oklahoma, then across um, from Southern Route. After that, but yeah, New Mexico so underrated. Oh my god, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's it's Denmark. You could do it in half a day, literally. Netherlands in a day. No, I was I just got back from Ireland, and, and it's like the size of Indiana, yeah. literally. And so you, we did a you know you can see the whole place and. We drove a lap around it in a week, you know, and stopping it everywhere along the way, and it's very small. It's I'm very curious, small. where was your three favorite places? Mine are, mine are tough. I mean, of, you know, I, Brazil's up there. Yeah. Thailand, probably, and uh, man, I still love Italy. Oh, yeah. I, I was I in Rome early in the year. I went Vatican for the first time, and... The Pope was there. Just, I just pure coincidence. He just happened to be there, and like, oh my god, this, <laughs> you know, he's changing the whole world, and mm-hmm. there he is. A Thailand's interesting because so many Swedes go there during the winter time. Oh yeah. So I didn't know why there was Thai restaurant in Scandinavia, and they said, wait till you hit December and January. And like, oh my god, so everybody leaves. Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And plus, Thai food's awesome. Awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you find them everywhere. Is there any countries you wouldn't go back to? Like your least favorite places? No, I didn't. I didn't have. Um, I mean, uh, I, I got tired of people making slant and I sign with their fingers in Brazil. Oh, really? They, they were they real. But you know what? There's the a thing? lot of Japanese in Brazil. I think uh, in uh, Sao Paulo. In Sao Paulo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'll see like Gabriel Yamaguchi and things like. Sounds, sounds really funny, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of. I I know when they're not doing maliciously. I don't really care. You know, um, in Denmark, I'm mean, no, in Netherlands, ninth of December. They have these guys have complete black faces, mm. uh, and and they don't mean any. It's just the their Santa's Santa's, Santa's helper, Santa, right? Helper, yeah, go I down what the chimney, called. right? And I don't know their name, but their face is completely I know this. black. Like Poor something or no? It's like, um, but they have a red lipsticks hey, and a I, black face, and so you know, I grew up in states. And, yeah, we're more sensitive to that. I yeah. saw some stuff in Japan that I bought. And I kept I I brought it home just because I couldn't believe there were set like little black sambo dolls that oh, they still yeah. had all over the place and I was like oh they my think God. it's cute yeah but they they don't know the history of racism outside of it you know so oh, yeah, I, that's I, where I, diversity I, comes in you yeah know? so I, I I don't get mad 
I, I just like smile, be uh, respectful because sometimes what we consider rude might not be considered rude over there. So I give benefit of doubt, but eventually, if you spend time, you you know what's what's yeah. right or wrong, you know. <laughs> right. But oh, I, I just um, I can I'm, I'm broke right now, so I'm, I'm hopefully I, I'm looking for cover contract work, but I can't wait to travel. I, I'm thinking about Israel. I've been there. That's interesting. I want to go because I'm I'm my passport expired next September, so I'm thinking. So I want, want to get the stamp before stamp you get rid of it. Before, yes, <laughs> I, you know, I got I mine to... stamped. And people are saying, "Are oh, you sure you want to get it stamped?" And I didn't think about it. Well, yeah, well, okay. Any place that wouldn't take me because of the stamp, I don't know if I want to go to anyway. So you know I... what I mean? Could you have gotten into Afghanistan with that stamp, with an Israel with Israel stamp? I I'm not sure. Um, everyone tell me it's always difficult to try to pull that, yeah, but maybe, maybe for sure, if you're trying to go Jordan, forget about it, Saudi Arabia, you know. Well, I went yeah. to Jordan through uh, uh, Israel on a day trip. Did you drive through it? Yeah. Well, I was on a bus trip from oh, a lot to, talk to, you. I want to, to do Petra. That. To Petra, the uh, Petra is amazing. So, you, you, can you fly into Jordan and take a, a bus to Israel? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it would work the reverse, but sure, why not? I mean, it, it would help that, I mean, you're going to, the security is a lot tighter. Yes. <laughs> you know, the Israels are a little, you know, we think we have airport security. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. You're going to, I got good bits out of that. But yeah, I think, I think you could do it. I mean, it would help that you're, it'll take a while. They're going to ask you a lot of questions, but you might get through. Sure. It, it's very similar to like many of my white friends and black friends, they're fascinated by Japan by, karate or whatever like that and it was so bizarre to me you know it's like an Asian person when they go to Texas and be a cowboy or something it's always bizarre mm-hmm. but the fascination they have with Japan that's the way I feel about the Middle East it's just ever since I watched Lawrence Arabia with my dad it really like fascinated <laughs> me there you know and they told me sometimes I'm crazy like I will make walked around in the middle of, a, middle of the night Istanbul like places considered like really dangerous but I never carry any money and like and, you know, of course, in those neighborhoods, everybody looks like Bin Laden. But they were more surprised I would go. But, yeah, I just – I don't have a fear. I have many fears, but that's not one of them, mm-hmm. you know. So, There's yeah. some kind of invincibility we get. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this comes from being American and, and stuff like that. We kind of like this – I don't want to say it's an arrogance, but we have this weird sense of security. Like, oh, nothing's going to happen to me here. Yeah. Uh, but what, what's the worst kind of, and, and the fact is a lot of walking around a lot of those cities – it's more dangerous to walk around in downtown LA or in a lot of other American cities than it is sure. those cities. They're not all packing guns or anything like that, you know. So it's, you know, by, per capita, a lot of those cities are many of them are safer than here. Yeah, just make sure you do your homework. You know, I yeah. always owe the books. Every city's got a bad neighborhood. Yes, you know, people I, come. Oh, isn't it dangerous there? It's like you know, like LA. There's certain places you, we don't go. Right. There's certain sections of town. Go to any big city, Tokyo. There's certain places you don't go. Istanbul, same thing. As long as you know a little bit of history and say hello, thank you in certain phrases in their language. And I, I always study map because I was <laughs> paranoid. I might get chased. At least I know the, which mm-hmm. road to go. But I, I, I really can't say any major memorable problems. Even, even when I showed up in Berlin for work eight, nine years ago, I showed up. They cl- shut down the whole hotel down. And I'm there like 1130 at night. I didn't panic like, all right. Okay, I don't like it, but uh, I just walked around for 20 minutes and I find a hotel. You know, you'll always figure out, you know. Yeah. You'll always figure out. 
That's, that is one thing that uh, travel teaches you over the years, not to panic over <laughs> stuff. Because mm-hmm. you know? people who haven't been around as much as you or I have would have freaked out when they got there and their hotel is closed. You know? but, but to me, it's like an adventure. Like even going to a grocery store and buying a toothpaste, I can't read what they're saying, but it becomes little miniature <laughs> ventures, you know? And it's fun. It's just, just nuanced things when they do things differently. Uh, whether, you know, when I was in Basel, Switzerland... When you get in the bus, you have to pay for the bus, of course, but you have to get half a ticket for dog and stuff. You know, like, oh, that's that's interesting <laughs> that you have to buy half a ticket for dog. You know, for your and, dog, you got to like, yeah. Take there's a picture of you know a for dog some reason ticket? some reason dogs and kids were half price, <laughs> and adult is full price. But yeah, like, oh, that's how they do it. I'm I'm, I'm really curious how people deal with their day to day problem. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, those little things that makes me happy and. What about your next trips? I mean, what are your dream destinations? You give me your top three places you would you've always dreamed to go and you haven't been yet. I would like to go China, Russia, and South Africa. I would I would a fourth one would have been India, but okay. But but um, for China, for Russia, for sure, because they're superpower. And you know, I always love reading books by Dr. Kissinger, and you know, uh, even with all the things that people say about Nixon. When it comes to foreign policy, opening China, I, I think it's such a significant thing. And no, it's I, huge. I, I don't think people really appreciate it because you look at places like North Korea where they worship the dead. You know, those dictators, same thing could have happened if it was in China, if we, we didn't open China. I mean, uh, they're a tough competitor economically, but it could have gone so much worse. And we have no idea how much debt we owe to yeah. uh, President Nixon. And now they're coming here and buying up... You know, real estate. Yes. <laughs> but they're going to make the same mistake like the Japanese did 25 years ago. They're, you know? they're overreaching. Yeah. But to me, it's not a shame. When when somebody loans you money, that to me say that you're such a credit-worthy and trustworthy that it say to me more about you. So when they're buying properties in the United States, it's because we have such a stable economy. Yeah, they need a place to park all this stuff. You know, I will say this, but, you know, for as, as many things that are uh, going wrong with the economy and stuff like that, when people are uh, – when the big money around the world still wants to do business, this is a good place to do business this is absolutely a great because place. we have you know, we have banking laws. We have credit – you know, the transparency in our banking laws. Yes. Here, an actual contract means something. Yes. Whereas, you know, try to do – people say, oh, it's uh, – oh, we'll do business in Russia. You know, the corruption is crazy in Russia. You know, it's just – it's amazing. You've got to pay – even if you you, you got to pay off the government, yes. you got to know somebody, and even after you pay them off, the mob comes and, and they want their cut. You know, dealing with China, it's like, oh yeah, China, you can get anything done there. But then you got to deal with the bureaucracy of China, Absolutely. and you know, then and then there's that. You know, so it's just Brazil has its own issues. You know, it's all the same kind of stuff. So here, it's still a good place to do business. My friend Stan Chen's father fled China, uh, and um, he eventually became engineer for Boeing, became a top executive. And he was one of the first group to go to China after Nixon went to China. And when they started doing business with Chinese, one thing that really surprised Chinese, that uh, they had a specific order, and they built a plan, sent it to them. But one of the functions didn't work, that the business people for Boeing, uh, Stan Chen's father went to China and gave them a refund. And that really shocked Chinese because most Chinese business will say, oh, we, if it was the other way around, well, we ripped up the American. The fact the American was so honest doing business that, uh, that uh, 
they uh, have a guanxi, which is a friendship and business, you know. So they were astonished by how honest Americans were with business. And Stan Chen's dad was the official translator for uh, Deng Xiaoping when he was visiting the States in 1979. So, wow. So uh, when they saw they one of the Chinese being an American representative doing a, such an honest, transparent business practice, it, it, it blew the Chinese um, Minds away, start doing business, you know. So uh, I know many uh, Americans, especially white liberal Americans, saying always bad things in America or, or be, you know, critical about it. But we don't hear just enough credit for America, you know. It's just. Uh, uh, yeah, in those aspects, I mean, that's why I'm not completely negative on the, as the economy and we look in the future. And I mean, there's a lot of things to be worried about, but there is that, that as long as we still have. You know, our contracts mean something as long as, as we still do yeah. business kind of in a in an honest legal way. That's appealing to people because it doesn't scare them, you know, as opposed to doing these emerging countries. India has the same problem, again, with government bureaucracy sure. and everything else. And, the treatment of women. Is just, yeah, or know, the infrastructure. Yes. You know, we got to get our infrastructure in order, but it's still better than so many of these other countries. You know, every day I was in India, the power went out at some point oh. of the day. You know, if you are got a big business, so you've been working on your computer all day, and then the power goes out and shorts and you lose all your work, that's not really an effective sure. <laughs> way to do business. You know, it's not the most efficient thing, you know, and people see that, you know, and they, they don't have a power grid that they can rely on. You know, these are all things that are, you have to take into account. Were you scared to travel to India? Well, that's a whole other show. Yeah, oh, India, okay. is, uh, India is hard. I want to go. India, really it's, go. It's fascinating, it, but it's hard, you know, it's... And I heard this about mainland China. I haven't been to mainland China yet. I'd like to go, but I mean, it's just, you know, like there. You're going to a place with a billion people. And it's- Let me know if you ever go to Beijing because um, I have friends over there. And um, one of my friends <laughs> drove across Asia with a motorcycle like 15 years ago and ended up in Beijing and started a motorcycle club. And uh, wow. now he has a motorcycle business there. But he said it's just an uh, amazing country. And yeah. People are wonderful there. I would really want to go to uh, Shanghai. Oh and yeah, those places. And I mean, that looks pretty cool. No, I'd love. To, I'll go. You know, I'll go anywhere once. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you more about India yeah, later. Yeah. I've talked about it so much on this show, but it's uh, it's amazing, good and amazing bad. Basically, is how I can <laughs> wrap it up. But um, but yeah, we should we should end this thing. So, where can people find you and your comedy online or anything like that? My Twitter account is Yoshi Obayashi. I know it's hard to spell, but <laughs> Y-O-S-H-I-O-B-A-Y-A-S-H-I. And um, I have a podcast called YoshiDitton.com. And basically, I randomly just interview people, weird people, whether they're comedians or adult business or people who worked in human rights stuff. It's just anyone that's interesting to talk to, I, I just talk to them. And I don't know when this is airing, but I'll be working in... Vegas, the week of uh, Thanksgiving week, the last week of the November, uh, at the Planet Hollywood for a guy named Edwin San Juan. Okay. Uh, and working on a travel show right now with uh, a guy, guy named Carmen Gentile. He's a reporter. He got hit in the face with RPG and survived. And a rocket propelled grenade. And oh, my there's God. A, there's, a, there's actually a clip when they happen. He's interviewing these two kids in Afghanistan, and, uh, and it just go black. Uh, he got hit. And the missile bounced back and hit a soldier. They both survived. And we're doing a travel. Well, we're pitching a travel show where I'm traveling from South Africa to all the way to Norway. But there's a really weird catch, but I can't talk about it right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. How's his face? 
Did he get it? He didn't get burned. That's the amazing thing. Like, uh, he was sore, but he had to be in hospital for a little bit. But, yeah, Carmen Gentile, if you just put his name in, like, RPG getting hit in the face, you could see the video clip when it happens. It's Carmen G, how does it? G-E-N-T-I-L-E, I think. Carmen Gentile. Yeah, Gentile. And he's a reporter and a cameraman in Afghanistan. And he, oh was, he was talking to two Af- Afghan kids and... Bam, black, camera drops on the floor, and he gets hit, hit in the face. You know, so he wrote a book about his experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Gosh, that's scary. So we'll Twitter, uh, Ob- say that again? Yoshi Obayashi. Yoshi Obayashi. And then what's the name of the show? Oh, can you say the name of the show? That you're- oh, Yoshi, Yoshiden.com. Oh, that's the podcast, but yeah. you can't say the name of the TV show. Or- um, I mean, he contacted me out of blue because it was a bit of a crazy idea. I can't get into <laughs> detail, but... He contacted me through my friend Tom Peter, reporter in the Middle East, and he was kidnapped in Syria in two days. And, and, and after that, I can't do this anymore. He left. But through Peter, I met Carmen, and um, I have to re- write a treatment and send it to him. But you know, we'll see if it happens. You That's know. great. That's great. Uh, well, cool, man. It was great to meet you. I'm glad you could make it. I, I, I really want you to do uh, my podcast because I'm, I'm curious. You have a re- an interesting career in stand-up and acting <laughs> with Michael Douglas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I tell you, a Michael yeah. Douglas story. But um, no, it was great to meet you. I'm glad. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, do some traveling. I'd love to open for you somewhere in uh, in Europe oh, no, or Afghanistan. Uh, uh, you know, I I definitely want. Hell, I'll go to Vegas at this point. If you wanted to show, I, I could definitely tell you all my comedian friends in Scandinavia. You should go. Oh, I'd go back in and a you heartbeat. have plenty of interesting people to interview. But comedy is um, doing very well over there. You know? I know. I, I saw it when I was back three years ago. I did actually did a show in Berlin. Oh, and, is that right? Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of like a. I just did a set, a guest set at some uh, English comedy night. But uh, as every country I went to in Europe. They had a stand-up show. It was like the '80s here, you know, it was just yeah. like booming because they realized it's you know it's cheap programming. You throw these guys on, but there's a buzz, and there was like comedy club. People were excited. It was a new art form there, you know. They always said comedy, but not stand-up comedy, you know. No, no, it was always yeah. like, but a guy would do. It was almost like vaudeville, you know. Yes. A guy would do impressions, or he had to sing a song, or there'd be duos. There was a lot of like teams and stuff yeah. back then. There wasn't really, but a monologist standing on stage with a microphone was not really a. A big thing there. It was and, a very American art form, you know, when it started. And some people say Mark Twain started that when he tried. Well, yeah. And, and uh, there's always a tradition of storytelling yes. in a lot of cultures, but not like that, and certainly not an anti-establishment kind of jokes and that kind of thing. And YouTube really have changed people's attitude about oh, yeah. comedy because and I satellite think, TV. And yeah, that's why I think they learned to speak English so well because they're watching so much comedy, but. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you will have this experience when you do uh, uh, shows in Europe. Eventually, somebody will say, oh, I came because I heard your podcast. It's really strange. <laughs> People drive five hours in Sweden to see you. And, like, and oh, they, will know, awesome. they will know more about you, obviously. You know? mm-hmm. But yeah, think of a podcast and internet comedy. Yeah, it's bringing the world uh, together. Smaller, making it smaller for sure. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Yoshi Obayashi, everybody. Thanks.